You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Left wing, another Chicago zone, shoots, he scores! Besser off the rush, fires it up high past Peter Morazic, and the Canucks strike twice in quick succession early in the second to take their first lead of the afternoon. Cook again, why not? James Cook through everyone, and he scores again! Dude, I think... I think Christian should be MVP. I think, I, I really do believe that. You know, he does everything um, for us, runs the ball well, can catch the ball. He does everything. And so, in my eyes, that's an MVP. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, producer Elon, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Uh, Hal from Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech studios. Here's Jason Bruff to tell you more about Kintech. Oh, Kintech. We love you, Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Lots to get into on a Monday here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I mentioned producer Elon is in the chair. Laddie is on vacation early. Uh, We start our vacation on Thursday, so we're just on the air Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. Mm -hmm. It's going to be Drance and Dodd, if I'm not mistaken, taking over for us Thursday and Friday. Drance and Dodd, Thursday and Friday, yep. Oh, that's a tough way to wake up, Drance. I know. I know. (laughs) You know? It'll be fine, though. It'll be fine. It's like, it's too early for that laugh. Uh, Because we are in the holiday spirit, the giving spirit on the Halford and Bruff Show, we're giving away a bunch of Canucks tickets this week, including today. Uh, We are giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the San Jose Sharks Saturday, December 23rd at Rogers Arena. That is going to go to the best what we learned of the day. If you want to win the tickets, hashtag your what we learned, WWL, send it in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL. Put a ticket emoji into your text to be entered into the grand prize contest. Canucks Sharks, Saturday, December 23rd. That's what's happening. No more wrestling tickets? We are out of wrestling tickets. That was just the last week thing. I hope all of you have fun going to see wrestling in January. But we're giving away Canucks tickets this week. Yeah, Uh, The guest list today, beginning at 6.30, David Amber, Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, NHL host. Uh, 7.30, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger. And at 8 o'clock, Randeep Jandy, you hear him right here. He is the Canucks uh, color broadcaster, Sportsnet 650. Uh, we'll talk Canucks, what happened over the weekend, and what happens on Tuesday when they take on the Nashville Predators in Nashville. So working in reverse, Randeep at 8, Mike Tannier at 7.30, David Amber at 6.30. Uh, that's what's happening on the program today. Elon, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy you were like. What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them on the internet at bccsa.ca. 
Uh, the Vancouver Canucks scored three straight goals in the second period on Sunday afternoon in Chicago. That's all they needed, a 4-3 win over the Blackhawks and Connor Bedard, as mentioned, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the second of a very awkward, very... I didn't love it. I don't love the 11 a.m. and then noon back-to-backs, but the Canucks got three or four points for them, so hey, we'll take it. Too, yeah, too early. It's too, too early. early. Too early. It wasn't their best hockey of the year uh, this weekend, but the Canucks grinded out a shootout loss and against against an improved wild team on Saturday and then used a very strong second period, which they've done a lot this season, to take care of the Blackhawks on Sunday, the Canucks are now 21-9-2. That's good. Right in the race for first place in the division. Unfortunately, the Vegas Golden Knights beat the Ottawa Senators last night. I really wonder how long, how much longer DJ Smith has got. Remember when we, we went back and we were like, well, they've only played 22 games and they're 11-11, so they're 500. Well, they've lost four games in a row since I feel like then. you've been saying that for like two months now. I wonder how much longer it's DJ Smith It's a race Smith between has. DJ Smith and Mike Sullivan. Oh, we'll talk As about the, Mike the, Sullivan. The vultures too. are circling here at the Halford & Brough Show. Um, back to the Canucks, though. Uh, the third line was once again the best story of the weekend for me. Mm-hmm. And I know iMac wrote a story on the third line, if you want to go read that, at sportsnet.ca. Uh, we're talking about the line of uh, Teddy Bluger uh, between Connor Garland and Dakota Joshua. Saturday, that line scored the Canucks' only goal, and it was a really nice goal. Came after a defensive zone face-off win. They skated it up the ice, gained the zone. Garland passed it up to Joshua who crossed it to Teddy Bluger, and Bluger put a home. On Sunday, Joshua scored. He's up to, what, seven or eight goals now? From Garland and Bluger, but it was more... It was, it was Yes, it was great that they scored again, but it was more the way they were able to, and this is something they've done constantly all season, stem the momentum swings in the game. Mm-hmm. They have consistently all season, really gotten the puck going in the right direction. I know I've said that a few times, but like it's important, you yeah. know, like when the other team has momentum, there's often times where Rick Tockett can throw his third line out there and that momentum is gone because again, they get the puck going in the right direction and now they're starting to finish more and more, right? And that's pretty important. Now, Connor Garland isn't scoring, but he is making some nice plays out there. He's a playmaker, hit the post over the weekend. Uh, so maybe some goals are going to come for him. But that line, I just I just really like it. And I, and I think back to all the times that we have complained about the Canucks' bottom six in the last, I don't know, decade. And how they were, you know, like sometimes they'd be okay defensively, but it would be okay defensively in their own end, right? Right. And this line is doing a really good job of actually getting out of their own end and playing in the other end. Yeah, and a lot of the other units and lines have had this sort of jumble, right? Where they've had guys move around and they had wingers move up and down. But that trio of... um, Garland and Joshua and Bluger. It seems like it's got a certain chemistry. Like mm. those three particular guys. Well, I thought those play three, well together. But I thought even when Suter was with Garland and uh, Joshua, sure. that that you know the three of them did well in terms of playing most of the time in the other end. But speaking of Pew Suter. Um, he got bumped up to play with Pedersen and Mikheyev, so Lafferty got taken off that first line. And, you know, listen, we didn't, I don't think any of us expected Lafferty to be on that line forever. And that did result in a goal on Sunday by Mikheyev. 
down low. Now, Taka was asked afterwards about Pew Suter, and I'm sure the reporter that asked him thought like Taka would be like totally glowing. Give me your glowing review of Pew Suter. And uh, Taka was like, he was okay. I'm just not sure Tockett loves him on the wing. And I think, he, and he I, yeah. basically said, like, listen, it's hard to go from center to the wing. But Suter's promotion, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember when I saw that, I was like, ooh, I kind of feel even worse now for Kuzmenko because at least when Suter was on that fourth line, Kuzmenko could be like, okay, well, I got like a playmaker on that line. Mm. Uh, Kuzmenko was left to skate with Lafferty and Nils Amon, who aren't exactly skilled playmakers. That's that's not their game, right? Yeah. Not surprisingly, when the Canucks uh, were protecting that lead in the third period against the Chicago Blackhawks, Kuzmenko barely played. He just got lost. Like he got mm-hmm. totally lost in the rotation and uh, intentionally lost. I think he had like two shifts in the third period, fifty nine seconds. Um, other points from the weekend, um, which again was a positive weekend, but the power play was not great. It went 0 for 5 Saturday, probably the reason the Canucks weren't able to beat the Minnesota Wild, and 1 for 4 Sunday with Pedersen scoring on a nice one-timer from JT Miller. So that was nice to see. Besser also scored on Sunday. Besser in the NHL. Giving him 23 goals on the season, tied with Austin Matthews for most in the league. So... I'll throw, I'll throw this out to you guys. If you would have said that Brock Besser would have scored 23 goals this season, the entire season, would you have been like, yeah, that's not bad? Yeah, it would have matched essentially where he was yeah. the last couple of years. I mean, we're like a third of the way through the season. He's I, got 23 goals. I thought, and I think I remember talking about it coming into the year, that if he eclipses 30 for the first time in his career, because remember, he had 29 in his rookie year, and then it's kind of been yeah. below that ever since. But I think, that, but I think the 30-goal dream goal was, was over. It was over, but it, The dream was over. But that was that was the high bar. Because I remember yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. okay, if everything goes right, if he clicks with his line mates, if he stays healthy, if this offseason where he changed some things in the gym and got in a little earlier and it resulted in maybe a little bit more fitness or maybe a little bit more quickness, 30 is a great bar for Brock Besser, an outstanding bar. I mean, he's going to beat that in within the span of a week and a half, two weeks well, at this point. Don't jinx him. I've ruined it now. I realize this, but that's okay. And finally, a tip of the cap to Nikita Zudorov, who stuck up for Petey and fought Reese Johnson, who kind of sounds like a weasel. Yeah. Reese Johnson. He's got weasel tendencies. Uh, Even though the Blackhawks scored on the resulting power play from the instigator and, you know, the Canucks lost Nikita Zudorov for the entire third period. I'm okay with that in the regular season with a two-goal lead against a bad team like Chicago. Uh, and Tockett said afterward he had no problem with it. Nobody it should have a problem with he, it. Yeah, he was like, Nobody. I like I the rule, but I got no problem with it. And PD afterwards said, you know, I, re- I really appreciate that. And that's something that good teams do. That's something that tight teams do. And I thought that was good. So next up for the Canucks, um, they flew out of Chicago, I imagine, right after that game, which is nice. Because they're not flying out, at, you know, and getting into Nashville at one in the morning or whatever. They're already, they were already there. They were there to watch yeah. Sunday Night Football. Oh, nice. Okay, so uh, I haven't checked, but I imagine they're going to practice today. Then they're going to play Nashville tomorrow. Thursday, they play in Dallas before coming home to host San Jose on Saturday. Um, again, the nice thing about playing Sunday afternoon, as much as we didn't really like that start time, is that they can get into Nashville early. Um, I will check and see if they're practicing today. I imagine they will. 
Um, oh, you never know. They love their days off that's in Trackland. But if they got to watch Sunday night football there, then that that that's your night off. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they had the opportunity to it do actually, it. It actually like brings team outing or anything. Well, it actually brings up a good question because I think um, one of the things that Talkit is trying to figure out is why his team gets off to these slow starts. And they have had a number of slow starts over the last few weeks. Do you remember that Minnesota game at home that Casey DeSmith kept them in? Mm-hmm. Um, there was the game against Tampa Bay where they surrendered a goal like a minute and 25. And I think both games over the weekend, especially the Chicago game, were slow starts. Um, and we've got some audio from Rick Tockett on the slow starts. And, you know, listen, we're not trying to be negative here. We're just, you know, this is a team that... We can kind of nitpick now, right? We're we're not into the, like the killing them, but mm. we're into the like okay, well, this is not going to praise them. This is but we're not going to kill them. Well, we we're are praising them, but we are. But here's here's Rick talking on whether or not he's concerned about the slow starts. Yeah, it was uh, the you know the Minnesota game, and then before those games, I thought at home that we 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 were we, you know we were better. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, we got to maybe have to think, you know, I have to think of different ways to get the team ready, you know, whether it's different stuff in the gym, um, you know, maybe less me. I don't know. We, we have to, yeah, definitely address it. But I knew after that, you know, that long flight, uh, that afternoon against Minnesota, afternoon game, I knew we were going to have to use the bench and grind it. And, uh, you know, getting three points out of uh, the two, these two games in the back-to-back, uh, um, you know, we're happy about getting the points, but we have to clean up our game. What if they all do like three shots of espresso each right before face-off? I think that's what they do before the second period. Yeah. yeah. Well, what if they, okay, do it right before the game starts? <laughs> I think it's just... Sometimes. I'm no coach, but... Well, I, there, there's a difference between like looking slow and getting off to a slow start and then like burying yourself so you can't come from behind. And I think the, intre- I think the interesting thing is <sighs> that... Uh, the goaltending's held them in for a lot of the slow starts. I think that's a big yep, part of this, right? Sure. Like, and that's DeSmith and Demko. Now, I'm not saying that's a recipe for success, but it is what it is. Like, you're looking at the record, and you're like, they're 21-9-2. So it's not like the slow starts have translated into, like, a crappy record or losing no, hockey, right? It's no. just they fe- they seem like they're a little sluggish out of the gate, but the goaltending has bailed them out. Now, there's two things. There's two ways you can go on this conversation. One is like, we got to clean it up. We got to figure out how to get come out of the gates with a little bit of a sharper start and maybe not necessarily play from behind or play from behind the eight ball or whatever. The other side of it is like the goalie's part of your team, right? And if your goaltending is able to come out sharp and not have a slow start, then you'll be okay. Um, I think the bigger picture stuff here is the more important thing for me right now is not the slow starts, it is their remarkable, and I stress remarkable ability to close out hockey games right mm-hmm. now because they are actually doing it in newfound ways. Uh, on Sunday against Chicago, the Zadorov issue happened. And, the, you know, and I did notice some people on Twitter were pushing back to my notion where I just tweeted out in one of my rare forays onto social media, attaboy Zadorov. Yeah, I just threw it out there because I thought it was good. And for a few reasons. One, Wolfpack sticking up for a teammate, right? Sticking together is what good waffles do. Well, he's, All a, that. He's, a, he's a new player, sticking up for the best player or sometimes on the team. The other part of it is I think at a certain point in any season, um, it's not cockiness, but you have to have a confidence that you can do certain things and have the confidence that you'll be able to take care of the ramifications. Yeah. So in this instance, it's like, yeah, I might put our team shorthanded. We might have to try and kill a penalty right here. We've only got a two-goal lead. We're on the road. It's the second of a back-to-back. But 
one, Chicago stinks. And two, we can withstand this. We can get through this. This adversity, I was joking around on Twitter, actually. I said, you know, I actually praised Zadorov for putting the Canucks in a new, different situation mm -hmm. to try and close out a victory because they're perfect. They were 17-0-0 when leading after two periods going into the third. So <laughs> Yeah, he challenged them. Yeah, he gave them a new opportunity to prove themselves, and they did, right? It was tight, but they got through, and they got the win, and now they move on to Nashville. I don't know much about the guy that Zadorov fought, but I hate him. Reese Johnson? Johnson? I hate him. Why? Because he hurt your Petey? I just don't like him. Didn't hurt him. Rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Something about him. He nearly scored. The, you nearly tied the yeah, game. Yeah, nearly, <laughs> nearly tied hated, the game. Hated him for that as the well. Canucks, yeah. The Canucks came pretty close to not getting that regulation win in Chicago. And, yeah. um, Connor Bedard, was his first game against uh, his favorite team growing up. and career, I thought he was fine. Career high time on ice. Yeah. 23-16, I think, or 23-46. Do you have a couple of assists? He had a pair of assists, yeah. But you, he, but you know what's funny um, is that... Um, Last season, let's say if the Canucks had been playing like they were last season, which is not good, mm -hmm. that whole game would have been about Bedard. Oh, yeah, 100%. But, but for me, I barely thought about him. I'm like, he's just another player on another team. I want a win. Yeah. Do you know? Did, is that the same for you? Like, well, I wonder if I, I wonder too from the listeners. I'll just throw this out there. Are you watching these games differently this season? Are you watching them more? Um, <laughs> Like d detail oriented. Do you do you know what I mean? Like when you really get into a game, you're, you're invested like, in what happens. Yeah, but you're no, <laughs> yeah. you're just kind of like you're. Just, I I'm watching them closer. Yeah, because they're good. There's more. Um, I know for our show, there's going to be more small picture stuff to discuss, like the starts, right? Like last season, you know, you're, you get into this group, you know, the the death march, and and you're like, I I don't care if they have a slow start. Like we're not like, well, how is this team going to get better starts? It's more a question of like, how is this team going to get better? Um, Overall, I am, uh, you know what I'm watching right now. This might sound stupid, but bear with me. Um, I'm actually invested in trying to figure out what they are, like what their identity is as a team and how they're... Because right now you can see the formations of a good team, right? You can see the pieces of a team that's not just a flash in the pan or a hot start. I think everyone's at this point, mm -hmm. right? They're 20, they've got 21 wins already. So you're starting to look at it and saying, well, okay, what is that? what exactly are they? What exactly will they be come playoff time or something like that, right? And I think there's a few really interesting things. One is the goaltending's been phenomenal. Both guys, like that is about as rock solid a tandem as you can get right now. And I'm, I don't want to say any of this stuff out loud because I'm terrified of jinxing it, but I'm going to continue. <laughs> the third line is super interesting to me because if you can get a group that you can rely on and you know what you're going to get and they can do the things like you're talking about, they can be decent in their own end to good mm -hmm. in their own end and they can produce offensively. That's really interesting because... As we go to the negative side of the ledger, I continue to say, like, the more I look at the Pedersen situation, we talk about what's been wrong with Petey. I am ready to relitigate this to the wall and say this is because of who he's playing with more and more. Because now it's they replaced Sam Lafferty, a career bottom six winger, with a converted third line center as his winger in Pew Suter. Like, that is not exactly a marquee type of lineup that you're shuffling in and out. Yeah. Kuzmenko hasn't worked out this year. They need a finisher with him. They you know, Mikheyev can do the spade work. Yeah. And he does have a few goals this season, but nobody looks at Mikheyev and thinks that he's a sniper. So I think that's probably, honestly, if the Canucks have a, a wish list right now, it's a goal-scoring winger. 
And mm-hmm. and if you're Rick Tockett, you're you're kind of like, uh, could he be hard nosed too? <laughs> now the other thing that I was the other thing I was thinking about, like, what is the identity of this team? And it's oftentimes you're not going to have someone that has a consistent level for 82 games. There's going to be dips in their performance. There's going to be times where they're either going through not necessarily a huge injury, but a minor one, and they got to play through it, or they just they're not feeling it right. And I think that's maybe partly what we saw with Pedersen over the last little bit. The Canucks have always had either a different unit or a different individual step up. What I'm going to be curious about now is keeping a little bit of a closer eye on Quinn Hughes. Moving forward, because yeah. I don't know if everyone's noticed this or not. His ice time is down a bit, huh? And his production's down a little bit. He's been pointless in five of the last six games, yeah. right? And that is an anomaly for a guy that was at one point mm-hmm. leading the NHL in scoring from I the think, back I end. Th- I think Hronik is showing some signs of fatigue too. He's because losing, he's losing some puck battles that I, that you know like you're like oh. And okay. I think and I think it's because they're tired. Like they, I mean, look when Rick Tockett comes out. And openly says we are playing these guys too much mm-hmm. in November, and then they go uh, actually make a trade for Zadorov to try and take some time away you from knew, them. You knew that what they were doing was unsustainable. So I think that there is a cumulative wear effect here, where you just played twenty five, thirty games of an NHL season mm-hmm. where Hughes and Hronik were literally out there for half the game for most of them, yeah. and now you're starting to see the ice time decrease a little bit. Maybe it goes part and parcel with the production being down a little bit, but I'm keeping an eye on that right now and saying, can this group? withstand maybe some mediocre play from who I'd consider the best player this year, Quinn Hughes. Uh, Only a few games left until they get a bit of a Christmas break. A lot of people texting in and seeing how they're watching the games differently this year. Um, And a lot of people are saying, here's one, I haven't yelled at my TV more this year than this last decade. Watching meaningful hockey is the best hockey. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little confused by that one actually. I, I'm, I'm. It's funny because like I'm yelling at the TV more because I'm into the games. I was right? yelling at the TV on Saturday, uh, saying, "Please stop this," because this is the worst hockey game I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the same with you, though, Bruff. Like I'm actually, I'm into it. I'm usually pretty right? quiet when I watch the Canucks, but more so is because yeah. of the last decade of play. But like this season, I'm way more involved in the games. I mm. find my, I catch myself yelling at the TV and like, oh, actually. I actually care what's happening right now. This is awesome. Last yeah. year, I had this thing in the last few years. I would just, the main thing I would do was like an evil laugh when I was watching the game because <laughs> they, they, no, no, no. It would just be like, they would make a bad play. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, it's more of this guttural thing. Like yeah. just kind of like looking at it with disgust. Well, it was a disgust laugh. Perfect, I was like, I can't believe I got to come in and, watch, and talk about this team again. Yeah. Every game was a funeral pretty much. It's uh, awful. David Emmer is going to join us next, and uh, there are some interesting stories around the NHL. Did any of you guys watch Saturday night's game in Toronto where the Toronto Maple Leafs absolutely embarrassed the Pittsburgh Penguins? Kyle Dubas's return to Toronto. That was what I know he wasn't on the ice, but there sure were a lot of camera shots of him looking upset. Uh, Toronto beats Pittsburgh seven to nothing and my mind went to oh my god what if halford is right about mike sullivan i still don't think he will be i think dj smith is the most likely guy to get fired and we'll talk to david amber about that um i know the story in ottawa like the narrative is like the new ownership and steve Steos, who's the new gm after the last one got fired for some weird stuff um the the narrative is that the Sens have had so much change and so much drama in that like they don't want to do anymore. They want to keep things stable. But they have now lost at least four in a row. 
they're 11 15 and they're probably not going to make the playoffs right they've dug yet another hole and there was this narr- narrative in Ottawa like they were like the Canucks they kept on getting off to these terrible starts and burying themselves for the season well the Canucks have gotten over that. Mm-hmm. They met pressure with pressure, as Rick Tockett likes to say, and they're off to a tremendous start, an unbelievable start, a start we couldn't have even predicted. But it's the same old, same old in Ottawa, and I just wonder when Michael Anlauer, the new owner, is going to act there. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Eight oh three on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Randy Janda is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off hour three. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. I'm watching NHL highlights in the Kintech studio right now. Question for you before we get to Randeep. What are worse, the Vegas Golden Knights' gold helmets or the Los Angeles Kings' silver helmets? Um, Chrome all helmets. of the above. They're terrible, right? I hate them. People like them, though. Some Why? people like them. I think they look ridiculous. I, I don't under... What's the purpose behind this? I don't know. Flashy? It looks like they look like Christmas ornaments. I could I deal with the Kings one, but the Golden Knights no. one is too much. No, no, no. How can you deal with How one and not the, the other? It's the same yeah. thing. It's the same I, thing. I, I find the Golden Knights even, even brighter. They should only be allowed to wear those for their home games. If you want to subject your fans to those those helmets, That's fine, true. but don't bring them on the road. That's, That's true. true. That's yeah. true. Because Vegas did it at home yesterday. It's like the uh, Dallas Stars' neon uniforms. Oh, God. It's the too worst. much. Too much. too much. Anyway, let's go to the phone I got lines. used to neon, though, with the Seahawks. I don't I like the Color the... Rush Seahawks ones. Well, well like... we're not talking about the Color Rush ones. We're talking Wait, about just ne- neon being part of their... <laughs> it's too much. It's too much neon. Yeah. Who brought neon back? Okay, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, <laughs> Randy Janda joins us now on the Alfred and Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Randy. How are you? What's going on, boys? Are we having a uh, helmet talk this morning? Yeah, a little bit of helmet talk. You know, we, the talk right. we were having at the break was... Uh, Connor Bedard, not lacking in confidence. Uh, I, I, he played well. It was great. And I know we're starting with the other team, not the Canucks here. But I do want to point out that I thought it was um, rather interesting to watch the young man just casually call his own penalties throughout the game yesterday. That should have been a trip on, on PD. I think, I think what happened was they gave him the benefit of the doubt on the Miller one because I didn't think the Miller one was yep. a penalty. Mm-hmm. And then I think the referees looked at each other and they're like, he's 18. We shouldn't let him do this. So the next time he... <laughs> The next time he tried to call his own penalty, they're like, no, son, you got to learn the hard way here. Curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, that, that JT one was like, wait a second. Is he getting like the Jordan rules already? Like, yes. Is he getting the calls in year one? Um, me and Batch talked about that on air as well. That one, like JT Miller had all the right to be ticked off of that one because it felt like it was just a good stick lift. He's on the back check. And that to me was like, he's getting the superstar calls already. Relax, refs. Come on. Let's let's take it easy there. Uh, let's talk about this third line. It's become one of my favorite stories of the year. Um, how important has it been for the Canucks' success? It's been massive, right? This is a, a line that over the last seven games has brought consistency on two fronts. One is the territorial advantage in, in a hockey game where 
you know, going back to even the last within the last five years, I think it's fair to say, even when Vegas didn't win the cup, they were kind of a blueprint of how to build out your team a little bit. You go obviously with, you know, a top six that is strong, but the way that they played in their bottom six was they'd win the territorial advantage and the Vancouver Canucks for once have a, a line like that, where at the very least the puck is not in your own end. You're not defending and guys on top of that in the last seven games, uh, these three players combined, Bluger, Garland, Joshua, 16 points, and key goals as well, key moments in the game where against Minnesota, you need that goal from Teddy Bluger. Hard work on the four-check, they get it done. Uh, Dakota-Joshua goal kind of felt like a soccer goal. Uh, it kind of felt like Dakota-Joshua was like Olivier Giroud, where he was playing solo up himself, kind of knocks the puck down off his shoulder, and Connor Garland comes to support with the slap pass uh, to Dakota-Joshua. It, it was actually, you know, just the way that they have chemistry now. They're able mm-hmm. to score goals very differently. Um, I, I love the way that they played. And, you know, part of this is Teddy Bluger. He's a very cerebral player. Offensively, he's been chipping in more than maybe I thought he would at this point in the season. But defensively, so smart, so aggressive on the forecheck. But credit to both Dakota, Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland, too. Because, guys, remember, the storylines around these guys to start off the year, not great. You know, there's talk about Connor Garland being traded. Dakota Joshua and his conditioning was a storyline. The way that they've righted both of those wrongs and now turned into the Canucks' most consistent line over the last seven games is a credit to all three of these players really stepping up. Where is the best position in the lineup for Pugh Suter? Yeah, he's a versatile player. I think long-term, the best spot in the lineup for him is still going to be on that third line uh, or the fourth line, depending on you know what happens with Bluger, Garland, and, and Joshua. I like that he's able to play in the top line. I like that he's able to be aggressive on the check, battling around that blue paint. Yesterday, we saw him become a middle drive guy in that second period, something that Rick Tockett has been looking for is from his team for, you know, whether it's a Kuzmenko or other players. He was able to do that in spurts in the game against Chicago. But overall, guys, as a top six winger, I, I don't see the... I don't see the fit there long-term. I think he could do in the meantime. I think he's somebody that can play that role when you're looking for a different look, when you're trying to change it up. Maybe he gets a little stale there with Sam Lafferty or others. But for Pugh Suter, you know, to be in that conversation is a good thing. But his ideal fit is still you know, a defensively responsible center who can give you 14 or 15 goals in a season. He's been doing that before. He's a, you know, a strong player in and that blue paint. We've seen him be trailer on the plays. Like He's got a decent shot. I just don't know if that long-term fit on the top six is, is ideal for him because, to me, I think he's better at, as a center than he is uh, as a top six winger. And you're still going to get your offense from Pugh Suter. That's the thing about his game where if he plays on the third line, uh, he's still probably good for 12 to 15 goals for you. Okay, I'm just going to give you the floor here on Elias Pettersson. What do you think okay. about his play in the last, I don't know, month or so? Yeah, so... Production-wise, if you look at it, he's still picking up his points. He gets his goal. You know, he's essentially a point-per-game player. But I think we can all agree that it hasn't been pretty in the sense that, you know, whether it's puck management, I know there's been a lot of discussion on his balance, um, his ability to maybe lose the pocket um, at certain points of the game. So, guys, two things on that front. I, I think it's fair to say Elias hasn't been playing to the level that we saw at the beginning of the year. That, that's plain for everybody to see. I think a part of this is also... Um, that line where you don't have that that perfect fit right now. And Elias Pettersson is a star player. He's supposed to make everybody around him better. And I think he does that game in, game out. But 
it does limit your ceiling when you don't have a certain type of forward next to you. And I like Ilya Mikheyev. I think he's a fixture on that line. I think he's a guy that's going to bring the forward check. He's going to be, you know, opportunistic. He's going to create his own opportunities. We've seen him uh, had two two on ones with Pete Suter yesterday. Couldn't finish on it, but, you know, that's kind of Ilya Mikheyev's game. He's going to score on a deflection. He might miss two or three opportunities in a game otherwise. Uh, but on that other wing, I think with Elias Pettersson, just somebody who is skilled, somebody who's going to go to the front of the net, who's going to be a little, you know, hard skill is the way I put it. So as much as I think Elias Pettersson's game to the highest level hasn't been there in the last month or so, uh, having a certain type of winger next to him, and, you know, if Kuzmenko was playing his game, if he was a guy that, you know, was playing that style of game, is just a little bit tougher to play against. We know what Kuzmenko can do in, in and around the net. 15 deflection goals last year, which is, you know, a strength of his last year. But he hasn't really been going to those areas. He hasn't won over the trust of Rick Tockett as of yet. Um, so as much as I want to focus on Pedersen's game, and there has been some inconsistencies there, definitely in the puck management side of things, uh, definitely in terms of, you know, maybe attacking the middle, uh, hasn't been as consistent as earlier on this year. I do have to look at that spot next to him to say, is he getting the support that he needs from that other winger? And I think it's fair to say he doesn't have that player alongside him yet. Um, I agree with you. Hard-nosed goal scorer is the one thing that I think this team could really, really use. Like a prime TJ Oshie would be yeah, perfect. I, mean, uh, I don't know. Easier, if we easier said him. than done to find that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, is it worth noting um, that Petey and Miller are n- uh, no longer really part of the penalty kill and that Quinn Hughes has had a few games where he's not playing like 29 minutes a night? Yeah, I think it, it is something to note, but what Rick Tockett hasn't been shy about is that if his players aren't going, and I think a classic example of that is the Florida game where, you know, JT Miller wasn't having a good time with that Sasha Barkov m- matchup, so therefore he just says, all right, we're going we're gonna to kind of, you know, pull you back a little bit here. Um, two fronts. One could be because you're maybe not playing your best game or there's coaches seeing something within the game that doesn't necessarily like. The other thing is, if the other players are in a position to step up and take minutes from you and you're able to get rested a little bit and your game isn't sharp, let's, let's be honest, fatigue is a real thing. This is you know, a pairing, especially for Philip Hronick and Quinn Hughes, that has played a lot of hockey. And we were you know, kind of raving and saying, hey, man, look at 25, 26 minutes a game for Philip Hronick and Quinn Hughes. That eventually catches up to you. So uh, I think fair to say, even though the Canucks are, are doing a great job you know, through to 32 games, they've picked up 21 wins, which is, uh, for most fans, I think there's probably a very, very small minority that would have predicted something like this, if at all. Uh, it's going to catch up in, to you in terms of, you know, that play. And I think Philip Ronick on that one nothing goal was a classic example where, you know, this is a guy that was amongst the best defensemen in the league, you know, the best pairing in the league to start off the season, but they're starting to show some rust, maybe not moving the puck as crisply as they were to start the year. So, that's that accountability factor where, hey, you're not going right now, and we do have some other options. Tyler Myers, you know, he's been able to be more consistent of late. Uh, a player like Nikita Zadorov is an addition, and you're okay with get him taking 18, 19, maybe 20 minutes in a game if your other guys aren't going. So uh, when I look at, you know, some of those players not playing on the PK, when I look at JT Miller or Quinn Hughes maybe not playing a little, you know, a little bit less than they're used to, I'm okay with that because that's the coach essentially saying, hey, you're not going, but don't worry. We got somebody else that can 
can do the job right now while you figure your stuff out. I feel like the Canucks um, kind of need that Christmas break. I know they've got three games beforehand, but um, we were talking earlier and we were wondering if they were going to practice today in Nashville. They are not. They're going to have yeah. another team day off. And this is just a fatigue thing, but... I think it also should be noted that the last few times that they've had a team day off, they've looked a little rusty to start their next games. Like there was the Minnesota game where Casey DeSmith kept them in it, and it was the Tampa Bay game where the Lightning scored like a minute and a half into the game. Now, the Canucks found a way to win both of those games, which is maybe a credit to the fact that they were fresh and they hadn't practiced. But um, fatigue, I think Rick Tockett is learning a lot about what it means to be a West Coast team, but also that the Canucks are one of only six teams in the NHL to have already played 32 games. Nobody's played more than 32 games. So um, agree or disagree that the Canucks, even though they're playing well and they've got three games before the Christmas break and we still want them to win, could probably use a few days off. Oh, no doubt. And you talk about practices, just looking at the schedule. I don't think they'll be practicing until Boxing Day or the 27th. Uh, that's probably their next practice when they come back home. Uh, a game tomorrow against Nashville. Then you got Dallas on Thursday and travel days. Then you got a, a game on Saturday against San Jose. And then you start hitting, the, the, to your point, uh, the Christmas break. So, you know, this is going to be for all that practice time they got here while they were in Vancouver, they made use of it. But in terms of fatigue and in terms of uh, you know, just the the grind that's been going on. It's positive and negative, right? The one thing is that them coming into the season in shape, which was a huge point for oh, Rick Tockett, that shows you how important that real conversation and that point for the coach was because, guys, if you hit the, the ground not running and you, you fall flat and you guys are, you know, trying to get in shape or they're not up to speed right off the bat, this season would have been a grind. But I think credit to the coaching staff, to emphasize that at the end of the season last year to say, if you're not in shape, if you're not ready to go, this is going to be a problem. And it wasn't smooth. You know, I mentioned Dakota Joshua, um, but they still sorted it out. They still leaned in. And that shows you how important that first two-week stretch, you know, hashtag the start was. Because right now, for sure, for, for sure they're going to be, you know, um, they're going to be tired. But as Rick Tockett's mentioned, playing tired is an asset, Right. December, November, or kind of those months where it really starts to feel like a grind. But this is going to be kind of the rest of the season. When we're talking about the Canucks season and what a start like this does for you is you can start refining everything else. You can start getting used to how to play tired, uh, in some cases with nagging injuries. Um, so what they're able to do, what they, and they weren't able to do the last couple of years, Jason, is it felt like every single game was a game seven for them for the last two years. <laughs> yeah, because it was. This year, this year, like, I know the fan base at certain points will maybe kind of lose it and say, you know, over one game, and like, I can't believe this happened. This, this, is this team for real? Uh, the coaching staff doesn't think that way. They're able to refine here, and it gives them a slightly longer runway to experiment and, and you know, see what this team is actually made of. So it's a very different mindset from the, the last couple of years. Uh, Kuzmenko, I'm going to finish on this. Um, okay. Played just two shifts, I think 59 seconds in the third period. Um, the lines were different. He didn't have Pew Suter on his line, uh, and the Canucks were protecting a lead, so I understand why he didn't play much. Um, but I just wonder if that's a thing where you either give him another chance with Petey, if, you know, because Tockett didn't seem to love Suter on the wing, 
or you put Suter back on that fourth line with Kuzmenko to at least give him some semblance of offensive talent to play with? Yeah, I think with Kuzmenko, and this is going to be a, a long probably conversation. We're going to be talking about this in March and April as well. Uh, the experiment with Andre Kuzmenko is, can you win over the trust from this coaching staff to, you know, being in a first round playoff match or being in a late game uh, in, in the spring at, at some point, can you be trusted to be a top six player in the final four or five minutes of the game? And, you know, yesterday's matchup against Chicago, uh, the worst team in the NHL, he plays 11 9 and, it's not necessarily that he played 1109. Uh, to me, it's, there's zeros across the board, right? And I understand playing next to Niels Oman and Sam Lafferty is not exactly the most, you know, high end offensive production that you're going to get. And I, I get that. But overall, uh, you're not necessarily noticing him for the bad reasons, which is a good thing. Uh, I've actually saw some subtleties in his game winning, you know, board battles along the wall. The engagement level was there to a certain degree. But I think he'll be up there with Elias Pettersson at some point in time, just based on the fact that you need a little bit more firepower there. But what's going on right now is it's those hard lessons to say, hey, we want to we break some of those bad habits that you have coming over to North America at the age of 26, 27 years of age. When you're a player like Ivan Barbashev or Gabriel Landeskog that makes that switch at 16, 17, 18, it's a part of who you are. You play the North American style of game. When you make that switch at 26, 27, Breaking those hard, you know, those t- tough habits are, uh, it's a very, very difficult situation uh, to do so. It takes a little bit longer. So I don't see that. I think he'll bump up there every now and then, especially if the Canucks need a goal. Uh, but I don't necessarily think the Canucks have to move him up there, especially as the team's winning. This is going to be the tough part for Kuzmenko where you're going to feel like your confidence is an all-time low. But the whole point is, do you correct your thing step-by-step? Step? Do you correct your game step-by-step step where the team trusts you in a month or two a little bit more? So I could see him there. I don't know if it's going to be consistent. I still think Sam Lafferty is going to get uh, minutes at the end of the game like he did yesterday where, you know, played sub-10 minutes, but Lafferty's playing with JT Miller, Elias Pettersson. I think with Kuzmenko, it's, it's a long road here, and it's going to be a bit of a journey. We'll probably be talking about this in February or March as well. Uh, Randeep. Thanks a lot for doing this. As always, we appreciate it. Enjoy all the games this week. Uh, Jason and I are off on vacation for a couple weeks, so happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll talk again in uh, 2024. Happy holidays, boys, and uh, enjoy your vacation. Uh, if you stay local, that's awesome. If you uh, don't, enjoy the sun wherever you're going. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. That's Randy yes. Janda here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, it's what we learned time on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. If you want to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the San Jose Sharks on Saturday, December 23rd, we are giving away a pair to the best what we learned submission. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? Let us know. Text it into 650-650. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket emoji into the text. Okay, I learned that uh, Tiger Woods and his son Charlie went low on Sunday, really low at the PNC Championship, and that is the father-son or mother-son, whatever. It's the parent-child. Let's just go parent-child. Tiger and Charlie, it was a two-man scramble, so your score should be good. But they shot a 61, and they finished fifth Mm -hmm. in the tournament. Bernhard Longer, uh, who is my 
one of my favorite athletes just because he's old and he's still the good. Fittest man alive. He's incredible. Like he's sixty six years old, and his son won the tournament. His son's like a investment banker or something like okay. that. So he's got a good life going for himself. Yeah, um, and also pretty good at golf. But the story was Charlie Woods, who's fourteen years old, and it's hard to say just how good he is. Like, he's Tiger's son, so he is good, but he's not considered, like, he's not, like, this phenom who's, like, the best high school golfer in Florida. No, like, he does, but but he's only 14, right? So he'd be a freshman or something. But is he, like, a prodigy for, like, his dad, or is he just a really good golfer kid? Well, he's a pretty good golfer, and he chipped in, he had a chip in that that looked exactly like, like, his whole body language is like his dad. He even had, um... A moment where, um, you know how Tiger was really good at stopping his swing if something distracted him? Like he had one of those. Okay. And uh, apparently Tiger does all the stuff that, I don't know about all the stuff, but some of the stuff that Earl did with him in that he tries to distract him. And like he tries mm. to get under his skin. Okay. And so. Yeah, because I'm, I'm kind of. But I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how good Charlie Woods is going to be and like starting soon because it's starting to be the time, you know, in these next few years where he might be participating in the U S amateur or something, which tiger was unbelievable. I'm always interested by sort of unprecedented stories. Like, you know, you do sports for a living and, I'm not gonna lie. Most of the time, you're like, I've seen this before. I've done this before. Like, yeah. I know, I know how this connects season in. It's disappointment. Mm-hmm. But it, so when you see something pop up that's really unique, the very least, I want to pay attention to it because it's new. It's different, right? I I don't even know what to make of this because he, the greatest golfer that's ever lived, now has a son with the backdrop of this very. Um, I guess controversial upbringing. That's fair to a fair way to put it. Like Earl Woods drove Tiger, yeah. but also might have driven him a lot more than is yes. normal, yes. right? But so there now, might have been some, uh, to put it gently, some unintended consequences. So now you're, and now I see all these questions being posed by reporters talking mm-hmm. to Tiger about whether it's like looking in the mirror when he looks at Charlie, and I'm like, that must be a really loaded question for Tiger Woods. Yeah. Because Tiger Woods, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, has some very, very public flaws. So looking in the mirror is a very complex and, quite frankly, probably confusing thing to try and digest as a dad. Mm -hmm. And then there's the kid who, you you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he will never live up to the player that his father was because nobody ever will. No, he won't. And that's a whole other dynamic. It's really. And then the weird part is, is it's being portrayed in this very typical structured narrative of the father son relationship and it's the family bonding and everything. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that doesn't exist. Like I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, some people might've yelled at the radio when you said tiger was the greatest golfer ever. Cause there are some people who'd be like, Jack Nicholas is still the greatest golfer ever. But Jack had a son, Gary Nicholas, who was a professional, but never even came close to accomplishing what, what Jack did. But I think I just, listen, I just think it would be cool if Charlie can get to the level where he's playing on the PGA tour. Yeah, just I, to watch how it all plays. I out. don't even look at just it from to a, watch. I don't even look at it from a golf perspective, though. I right. just I look at it as this really fascinating dynamic of, and we're not now. I mean, well, you can see Charlie just idolizes him because he acts exactly like him on the golf course, which includes uh, a certain sense of confidence, mm-hmm. bravado. Yeah, in a fourteen-year-old. 
Yeah. Um, well, and, Tiger had that when, exactly. he was, when he was young. Right. But then Tiger went out and became, again, the best golfer that's ever lived. Mm-hmm. And I Tiger, think, by the way, is jacked. Yeah, I know. Like, it is. What's going on there? <laughs> is he, is he like trying to play linebacker or something? I don't know, like but he's, he's big. Like, and not like, he's just big. <laughs> he like, I don't know. He's jacked. I mean, sometimes you forget like how much physical toll his body has undergone. Yes. Like the the car accident where he was like dangerously close to potentially losing a leg, like mm-hmm. it was. I know. And now all of a sudden he's he's. I mean, it's almost like the the he's had so many redemptive arcs in his career, right? Coming back from the uh, infidelity and marriage falling yeah, apart. Yeah. I remember the DUI where he was caught on the yeah. dashboard cam, and then this awful accident. Mm-hmm. There's. I mean, we're not talking about like little dips. In life here, we're talking about... He's lucky to be alive after that car accident. He's lucky to still have his leg. Right. And, you, I mean, I you know, don't want to get too dark or anything, but he's probably lucky that he's got uh, been able to have a relationship with his son where... Sure. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's a legitimate thing that's out there. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's all very interesting to me, and really not from a golf perspective. Uh, give us a moo cow on that. Moo cow, that touching father-son story. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.